Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Lucky pull through. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. All I did was look at wet feet and cry. (laughs) With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I'm a hot mess, girl. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Like, there is no tragedy Olympics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about letting people into our mess. Letting them in. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a mess. We're not even going to discuss whether or not you are a mess (laughs) or we are a mess because we're a mess. Sometimes we do episodes. But do we let people in? Like we have an episode (laughs) of like, do kids have too much homework? Yes. Right. Do we grade husbands on a curve? Yes. We're not going to say, do we have mess? But just... How do we... No, we're not going to get stuck on that part of it because we know what's up. Before we start, I do want to give a shout out to one of our listeners. We had an episode a couple weeks back called What Kind of Monster, where we talked about some parking lot issues that Margaret and I may or may not have. And (laughs) Marianne wrote in, this is very useful to me, so I want to make sure you guys knew this. She says, listening to What Kind of Monster, the part about parking lots, Amy was describing pulling into a spot and going all the way forward to the next spot so you can also drive out forward. That's called a lucky pull-through, Marianne says. And she says you have to yell lucky pull-through while you're doing it like punch buggy. (laughs) We went to church yesterday morning, and I want to say we got a lucky pull-through, and my husband and I both yelled it. Lucky pull-through. Yeah, it felt good, especially after I was scolded by another person for doing that once. I'm like, no, it's my right to scream lucky pull-through. Yeah, like I said lucky (laughs) pull-through. I've never felt so avenged, so thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Marianne. And she talked to us on our Facebook group, which is at What Fresh Shellcast. And you can always join the group, talk to us, talk to each other, join the fun. Come on over, guys. The water's fine. And now our mess. And now letting people into our mess. Oh, our mess. I mean, my parking is part of my mess. As we said, someone on the Facebook page was like, I don't think Margaret should be driving. Yes. You're not wrong. Like I am part of my mess <laughs> is that I do not operate a vehicle correctly. And we're glad you shared. We're glad you we know that about you now. <laughs> I let you into my mess. And then someone was like, yeah, you need to get off the roads. I mean, you and I, like we've been doing this show for three and a half years now. And each of us have had moments of mess as mothers do right like stuff going on that we wanted to talk about that we didn't want to talk about and I feel like you and I 
have an ability with each other to go there, deal with it, and then move on to do what we need to do for the day, which is refreshing and very important for me to have in my life. Yeah, it's so nice to have an outlet to really talk about it. And I do think, and I've said this before, like blogging and women being online and sharing their voices, like it's such a profound experience because my mom talks a lot about how isolating it was for her, like being home with three young kids. She'd had like a pretty high powered job. And she always said like, I went from like having 15 employees who would do whatever I told them to do to like being home with three young maniacs who like would not put their pants on, like no matter how much I asked. And so that's right. I think she found it very isolating. And I've talked to a lot of women of that generation. Another woman I know says like she lived in a basement apartment and she's like, all I did was look at wet feet and cry. (laughs) And it's like, it is very isolating and depressing to be a mom. And then the imagery around it is like, finally, your destiny has come true. And it's like, uh, right. Why doesn't it feel like that? It feels like I'm kind of in what fresh hell. You feel the wet fresh out and then you feel shame that you feel that because you think you must be the only person who's not loving it or who's not doing something well. And I think social media and podcasts and lots of stuff helps with that. But we also need to talk to people in real life. Oh, for sure. And I even with the podcast, I sometimes will have moms. I just had a mom write to me recently, a mom I know, but someone who also listens to the podcast. And she's like, oh, I just I'm so jealous of you because you have all the answers. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) have you really listened to the podcast? Because I am like on the hot mess express all day. But I do think because we talk about stuff and we sort of like offer some solutions and kind of talk things through and we think about it a lot that it can seem like oh, well, Amy and Margaret have this figured out and they're helping other people. We are both in like full-time chaos mode. Maybe Amy slightly less than me, but like, I mean, I don't have it all figured out. Let's be very clear. I don't know if it is me less than you. It's just, I like pride myself on having my act together. And I don't mean to do this, but I think I hide my stuff sometimes a little bit too successfully. Yeah, well, and that's a lot of what we're talking about. We do have a guest coming up on today's episode. Christina Kuzmish. She is the author of the new book, Hold On, But Don't Hold Still, Hope and Humor for My Seriously Flawed Life. It's a great book. And you know her. Even if you don't recognize her name, you know her because she does hilarious online videos. Tiara drinking coffee in the pantry. That's her. So and her book is a lot about this. Her book is a lot of reflections on like being a really struggling mom and kind of keeping that to herself and learning her kind of journey to letting herself be seen and be okay with who she really is. It's a great book. I wanted to talk about an article that I read in Glamour magazine as I was sort of researching this episode. It's really good. I'll put the link on the show page. Chani Bruzy wrote this article for Glamour. Stay at home mom depression is real and women are finally talking about it. Now, we're not necessarily talking about just stay at home mom depression. We're talking about whatever your stuff you're going through is right now that might be making you a little depressed. It's not limited to that topic, but it has a lot of, I don't know, it really cut to the chase for me. And it quoted a psychotherapist named Susan Silver in the article, and she says, women often don't feel that they deserve help or they think something is wrong with them and that they've failed in some way if they have to go to somebody else for help. That rang true for me. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also, like the article talks about as well, like the loss of the identity and self-worth a woman's career provides. And that is another thing. Like I had my first child at 30 seven years old. And my life for 17 years, let's say from 20, I would even say for 20 years, because basically by the time I went to college, my life 
was my own making all the time. I just had that weekend this weekend where I had a big project that finished last week and I was so, I was sick and I was tired and I was like, all I want to do is get in bed. But I had like a mother-son Boy Scout ninja event. And then I had the PTA ice skating outing. And it's like, my life is just now, the parameters of my life are so often defined by like a host of things I really don't feel like doing. Yes. Like so many things I don't want to do. And that loss of autonomy is for reals, guys. For me, the hardest part was the loss of the sort of water cooler conversation. And it occurs to me that that's why I'm like, I'm glad we have this podcast. And I'm glad I have like a work wife that I have to talk to all the time about different stuff. Because you share your stuff with people when you interact with people, right? Like when you're having a really hard time with a child for a hundred reasons, and you're staying home with that kid, and you don't have the water cooler conversation, and you're not bumping into the same people every day and making your coffee by the microwave wave at the same time, you have to make more of an effort to connect with other people and reach out from yourself. And if you don't have a ready place to do that, then I don't know, it can be very hard. Oh, the story that illustrates this for me is that my husband said, what did you do? Oh, I took the kids to the grocery store. We bought groceries. And I would say our the checkout woman was named Christina also. And she'd be like, I'm like, oh, Christina's really having a problem. She doesn't like their daughter's new boyfriend. And it's a problem because the daughter's really shy. I would give him like a 45 minute update on the life of Christina, who always checked me out. And he was like, why do you know so much about this person? And I'm like, that's the only person. It's the only other human I talk to face to face all day. Yeah. Like I would talk to the mailman. I would just like, people knew not to get near me because I would just be like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Like, tell me everything. But you have a gift. I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time with Margaret. Margaret has a gift of getting the taxi driver or the person behind the desk at the hotel or what, whoever to you just connect with people in a very open, relaxed way, right? But at the same time, like I need that connect. Like I'm like a little withering plant if I don't have people to connect to. Like right. I found the isolation of like being home with three kids all the time, like I just felt like I was like a little dying plant in the shade, you know? I guess I have more of the like, I'm good. Everything's fine. Like I'm a little more invested in that maybe, or I'm a little more shy. And so I would love to talk to Christina and learn about her life. You would just like check out and be like, womp, womp. I'm still lonely. Yes. I feel like you have a way of generating conversation. I mean, not everybody you meet is going to touch your soul in a very special way, but you are at least open to the possibility in a way that is eye-opening to me. I don't know. I just feel like you're like a more available as you move through the world as a way that I find interesting. And it's getting better for me as I have more time away from my kids, but it's also getting harder for me because I used to, I'd take my two preschoolers to their preschool and I'd have the baby in the sling and we walk to school in New York City or take the bus or whatever. So I would walk into the school, I'd walk into the classroom, I would see, you know, by 8.45 or 9 a.m. every morning, I would have spoken to 10 or 20 adults, most of them moms. Right. And you just had that little hit that would get you through the rest of the day. Now, you know, that's why I'm going to like the high school PTA meetings and like, you know, cutting out posters because it's a start. It's getting in the door. It's talking to people. Right. I got to be out. I got to be doing stuff. And I also think we haven't even scratched the surface of like, Then underneath that, and Christina talks about this a lot because when she first has kids, she's divorced, she's living in a small apartment, she's working as a waitress, like this feeling also of like, 
I'm failing on some ways. We talked to Janelle Hanchett, who wrote, I'm just happy to be here about this. She struggled with addiction when her children were young. And it's like, and what I found interesting about that conversation, and I thought about it a lot reading Christina's book, is like, sometimes people have big marquee problems, right? Like I'm on food stamps, I'm struggling with a drug addiction, I am have a kid who's extremely difficult or disabled in some way. But for all of us, there is that thing of like, you're failing, you're failing, you're failing, you're failing. That voice is always sort of going off in your head, right? And that is also very isolating Mm -hmm. because there's a temptation to be like, everything's great. You know, I'm doing great. My kids are great. And that if your kids are actually like beating each other up the second you walk in the door and you had mac and cheese for the third night in a row and you didn't take them to the pool because you were too tired and you let them watch six hours of screens instead, that's not stuff you tend to want to share with people because you want people to believe that you're doing great. Yes. And I think that isolation, and again, I think that's where this online conversation and books and people really be able to say like, this kind of stinks. And sometimes I don't feel like I'm that good at it. People's reaction is always like, oh, me too. I'm the same way. But we kind of cut ourselves off from that connection with other people because we want people to believe that we are doing better than we are. Right. When we see it on Instagram, like, I'm a hot mess, girl. We can like, you know, click it and heart it and retweet it. And that feels safe. Right. And feel like, okay, yeah. Right. Doing it from there, like, you know, retweeting the, you know, lols of whatever. This is terrible. But to actually sort of open up about that, where I get stuck, I think sometimes, and this is like the Catholic girl in me, is that I have no right to complain that other people have it worse than me. And of course, they do. But they do. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes, right. But sometimes I've had it pretty hard. Like, basically, your heart is hard and you have a right to feel that your struggles are struggles. And it's okay that that somebody across the street has a kid in the hospital and you're still struggling even though your kid isn't in the hospital, that you really don't want to make dinner tonight. Like it's also a struggle. (laughs) There's a name for that. They call it like the tragedy Olympics or something. I've heard people use that term like, Ah. oh, well, you think that's bad. I blah, blah, blah. Like there is no tragedy Olympics. Like your tough day is not as tough as other people's tough day, maybe. I mean, you are the general, you are mine. But it doesn't mean that you're not having a hard time. Right. And one thing that I wish I could like impart to humanity, if I could remove this chip from my brain and like put it in the brains of others is I feel like I've learned now, having been a mom for 12 years and being a older lady, (laughs) I find that when I talk to humans, they're always like, well, that person, they think that I'm and like this is that we talked about this other best advice ever. But like I had an ex-boyfriend who once said to me, you would be so much calmer if you realized how rarely anyone else ever thought of you. Hmm. And I think that that thing of like that person is thinking that my kid isn't good because they're not in the advanced reading class and their kid is in the advanced reading class. That's almost never going on. Like, I wish I could free people from that. That is one thing that I've gotten so much better at as an adult and a middle-aged lady like oh that person is really not thinking about what reading group my kid is in they're thinking about their own stupid problems yep. and i see so much of that like the projecting going on of everyone being like they think they're better than me because they are a size two and have a really fancy car and their husband is you know rich and famous or whatever and they think that i'm lame because my kid struggles in math and we live in a small house maybe but 
Probably not. They're probably thinking about their own horrible problems. They probably have their own mess that they're not letting you into, right? Like I've had females in my life be sort of what I perceived as rude or cold or disinterested or whatever. And I've tried to over time view that more as like they've got their own stuff going on. It's certainly not personal. Like maybe they're not friendly to you, but they've got mess that they're not interested in sharing with you and, you know, wish them well, right? And not don't take that on. Or wish them well, write them off. We had somebody we were talking about this on the Facebook group at some point and someone was like, wait, I went to a party and I heard them saying like, we don't want her coming because <laughs> oh she's God. poor or something basically, like, you know? And I was like, yeah, so it's possible that it's sometimes happening that people are just awful and snobby, but even that is the same story. They're still like saying that because they want to believe they're rich. Like they're still trying to feed their own hole of need. It's really not about you, you know? Mm. Oh, so we could talk about this all day, so much more, but let's come back with our interview with Christina. We'll be back right after this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. So before we start today's interview, we wanted to tell you that Christina Kuzmich and I discuss some serious topics like self-harm that might be too intense for little ears. So if you'd rather not listen to that discussion or have your kids listen, you might want to skip ahead about 15 minutes. Thanks. So 10 years ago, Christina Kuzmich was a broke and defeated mother of two, recently divorced and juggling jobs. Now her hilarious videos on parenting and life, which you guys have totally seen, have over a billion views. Her new book is Hold On But Don't Hold Still, Hope and Humor from My Seriously Flawed Life, which offers Christina's hard-won wisdom to all of us who have ever struggled to feel good enough. Welcome, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I loved this book so much because I just feel like it was 
your life is interesting. You've got an interesting life, girl. <laughs> and like you've had hot dogs with Oprah, you know, you've <laughs> yeah. done some interesting stuff. And I wasn't expecting that. I guess I was thinking it was a more typical person's journey. And this book is a very atypical journey, but it's also deeply human and deeply relatable. It's both of those things at the same time. Well, I'm so glad that you liked it. I do feel like my life has been very weird. Sometimes I wonder how I fit 90 years of life into 40. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm excited to see what the next, you know, 40, 50 will bring. Exactly. You make this point right at the beginning of the book. You say like, so Christina has worked with Oprah's company, has been on television shows, and you sort of, you get to this point, and I myself have been at this point, you're like, okay, this is where it's easy street from here on out, right? Like from here, everything's just going to come rolling my way. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you don't think you'll ever be again stuck in a small apartment unemployed, and yet you found yourself there. So how did you let other people into that mess? It's sort of the lowest point in your life. Well, so the lowest point in my life is actually before Oprah. And, oh, okay. you know, when after my divorce, I like a lot of people who go through a divorce can relate. I was just really lost. I was completely broke. I kind of left the marriage without asking for anything. And so ended up sharing a small bedroom with my two children. We had a roommate in another room and just felt like a loser mom. I can't even afford our own home. I can't afford food for my kids. I have to do, you know, get on food stamps. I sunk into a deep depression and got to a point basically where I really genuinely believed that my kids might be better off without me. Mm. So I had this pros and cons list of how my suicide would affect my kids. And it breaks my heart to admit that the pros list oh my gosh. of like it benefiting my kids was actually longer than the cons list. And you can stand outside that now. I just want to say like you can recognize that now as seriously flawed thinking. But at the time. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. Like we think of parents who commit suicide as committing a selfish act when really in the moment their flawed thinking is telling them this is the most selfless thing they could do. Yes. And I write about that in the book because I remember when Anthony Bourdain took his life and then yes. either right before, or right after, really close in time, Kate Spade. And I just remember reading these horrible comments online where people were just, you know, saying how selfish and self-centered these people were. And I guess I understand if you haven't been to that low point, how you could think that because they're both parents. But, you know, again, when you're in the mindset I was in, I thought I was doing my kids a favor because I was such a horrible loser and failure. My kids' lives would be happier and better and less stressful if they didn't have this horrible loser of a mom. And obviously, those are just lies that we believe. And if anybody's listening at that point, I want to say how thankful I am that I stuck around and I want everybody to stick around because you never know what's around the corner. But when I was at that low point, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed of who I was. I was embarrassed that I even had these thoughts because parents aren't supposed to have these thoughts. Mm. I just felt a lot of shame. And when you're already depressed and then you feel shame on top of that, you know, obviously that's not healthy. So what I did, which I believe a lot of people do when they get to a low point, it doesn't even have to be that low, just a bad day. We close off. Right. We completely shut down. We close off. We got our fists clenched and we're not letting anyone in. When that is the exact time when we need to open up and go, you know, be vulnerable and say, hey, I can't do this on my own. Because we're not supposed to go through this life alone. We're supposed to, you know, have support. And but as you said, it's like it's the feeling that you're having. And then on top of it, the shame that you're having, that feeling mm-hmm. makes you even less likely to reach out. So how did you break through that? Did somebody break through to you? How did you find your way out of that dark place? I mean, I definitely had friends that wouldn't give up on me. 
I write about my friend Jonathan, who, when I got remarried later, he ended up being my dude of honor because he's really like a brother <laughs> to me more than a friend. And, you know, I write how he bought my kids bunk beds and he would just show up after work and check on us because I didn't even know at the time because he didn't tell me how worried he was. He was trying to keep it positive, but he was really worried about me and just people that kept showing up. So I guess that's a lesson for us that are in a better place now is keep showing up for those people that are struggling. And if you don't hear from someone, you know, maybe check in on them uh -huh. because sometimes they need to know that people care. <laughs> and but also I just got to a point where I had to make a decision. I'm either going to, you know, call it quits or I'm going to fight. And I'm so thankful, you know, that I decided to fight. And when you start fighting, you quickly realize oh, shoot, you know, in order to be my best, in order to make progress, I can't do it on my own. And most importantly, I don't have to do it on my own. I'm not supposed to do it on my own to be, a, you know, I feel like a lot of times we feel like if I'm not doing it on my own, that makes me inadequate. Right. And we're brainwashed from when we're little. I think about this a lot because my youngest is five. Think about when we're little and we do something on our own. Our parents praise us for it. Oh my gosh, you cleaned your room all by yourself. <laughs> you reached that all by yourself. The all by yourself yep. is the thing. So that's what being big is, right? Being grown up is doing it by yourself. Uh huh. Yes, that's what makes us great and lovable and worthy of praise from our parents is that we did it by ourselves. And I think about how that really brainwashes us when we become adults that I'm going to be worthy if I do it by myself. And so I really changed the way I speak to my kids now, you know, instead of good job, you did it by yourself. I say, you know, that's awesome. But if you ever need help, I'm here. Ah. You know, and just adding that little bit at the end, I'm hoping because I do feel like parenting is brainwashing basically our children. I hope that maybe it'll change the way when my kids grow up you know, they're not as hard on themselves and they're willing to ask for help. I love that idea. And that's a really concrete, simple thing that we can all do to change how we relate to our kids. Can I ask you about, you went through a divorce, mm -hmm. another opportunity to let people into your mess or not. And you talk about in the book, sort of the special challenge of going through a divorce and letting people into what you're going through, why that's particularly hard. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, every divorce is different, but for me, I didn't talk about my marriage, you know, struggling at all because basically I was going to leave my marriage and then right during that time found out I was pregnant mm. with my first child. And then, you know, my mindset was, well, my kid's not going to grow up in a divorce home. I'm going to make this work no matter what. And I stuck around and because I decided I'm going to stick around, I'm going to make this work. I didn't see the point of complaining to anyone about my marriage. So on the outside, everybody thought that, oh, they're doing great because I put on this face. And so when I did go through divorce, you know, everybody had an opinion. And a lot of people were like, this is completely out of the blue. And, you know, a lot of people tried to get me to stay. And there was just, I think anytime there's a divorce, anytime there's a big life change, everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. And a lot of times those well-intended opinions end up just shutting us down more because we feel judged and it's a very, I mean, I write in the book how to me, divorce felt like a death. And when somebody is so opinionated about something that feels like a death and you're the one pulling the plug, so you feel like the murderer. Right, right. It's your idea and you feel bad about it. So don't do it. Got it. Yes. So that's one of the reasons I shut down. I just thought nobody understands me. You know, it's a common human feeling at different times in our lives where we feel completely alone. Nobody would understand. And again, one of the reasons I'm passionate about what I do is because I want to make people realize that they're not alone and make people realize that whatever that weird thing they're going through, someone else has felt it and cried it and someone else has made it through and so will they. Mm -hmm. And I had 
random people in my life, sometimes complete strangers that showed their vulnerability. And that helped me open up. That helped me let people into my mess of like, oh, I'm not the only one. I mean, I think that's one of the like most comforting human feelings we can feel. It feels like, you know, a comfort food when we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one. (laughs) Somebody else has gone through it. So to me, one of the important things I try to encourage people is talk about it. Talk about whatever you're struggling with. Stop posting the perfect pictures on Instagram, you know, stop making everything look flawless because yeah, the more we all open up about our mess, the more those people who are worried about letting people into their mess will slowly begin to open up. If you're on the other side, I feel like you have some advice on this. So if a friend comes to me and they are that friend, like I'm going to leave my partner, I'm going through a divorce and they are devastated about it and either certain or uncertain, whatever. They're presenting to you. They're letting it in. We can, I suppose, sometimes have a urge to fix some other people's problems, right? Because they seem, we're going to talk about this in the next section of the show, how our things that are perceived as threats by ourselves are actually perceived as challenges by other people. But when somebody opens up their mess to you, they don't necessarily want to hear that it's one, either not a mess, or two, here's how you fix it, or three, you know, I have the mess of my own. What is the thing that the person should say who's on the receiving end of this vulnerability? I mean, the number one thing I think is to validate. A lot of times people either try to fix or they dismiss or they kind of, you know, try to minimize it. And again, I think the intention is like good. I think most people come with good intentions, you know, of like, you know, if I tell them just this positive quote, or if I tell them, you know, you'll be fine, it's not a big deal, that'll make them feel better. Yeah. When really, I'm in pain. I need you to acknowledge that I'm in pain. I need someone to see me. I don't feel seen. And so I think that's the number one thing is validate that person, make them feel seen, make them feel that their feelings and their pain really matter. And then just be there. And I don't mean be there like, call me if you need anything, because when you're depressed, it's very unlikely you're going to pick up the phone and call. Mm -hmm. Be proactive, drop off that meal, even if they didn't ask for it, you know. And the other thing is, come with them with compassion, not pity. And I think a lot of times people confuse those, you know, look at the person, don't look down on a person. So when somebody's telling you they're, you know, for example, suicidal, you know, we tend to, it's like we throw pity at them. And that just makes you feel worse and smaller. And now you're even more depressed. You know, look at them as a fellow human being who is struggling. There's something so powerful about looking at people instead of looking down on people. So start with validation and then just keep showing up for that person. Not with your judgment, not with your advice. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing them that I am worth being here because this person sees that I matter. And maybe eventually I'll start believing that I matter also. Christina, this book's just so deeply humane and full of such truth bombs. But you're like the truth bomb mom. You'd bring a ton of humor to your online videos and your online persona. How does humor fit into all of this? And how do you find the humor even in the darker moments in your life? Well, luckily, I was born with a lot of humor, I guess. (laughs) So for me, it came naturally. Born this way. Yeah. I remember during the war in Croatia, I actually didn't write this part in the book, but my parents sent me off to be with my grandparents. And 
just, you know, we thought the war would calm down really fast. And so I'm with my grandparents and hearing these news about my city being bombed and my friends are in, you know, basements trying to survive and all just horrible, horrible news. And the way I dealt with it, I was 12 years old, is I wrote this completely silly and inappropriate song about war. And I found it recently and I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And then I thought, no, <laughs> it's not actually. That was the medication I needed. Mm-hmm. Humor was my medicine at the time and that's how I dealt with it. And so thankfully I've had that my whole life to carry me through. But what I write in my book is that for me, humor, you know, going through life without humor is like trying to eat soup with a fork. And you're still gonna, you know, get something out of it, but you're gonna miss out on so much goodness if you can't, you know, pick up that spoon and find the funny. And by the way, funny things aren't always just going to happen when you're going through a hard time. You literally have to look for it, kind of like joy. Find the funny. Yep. Find the funny. No one's going to, you know, you can't Amazon Prime it. It's not going to show up at your door, (laughs) but you can find it. And I feel like we need it. We need to laugh. It's like our body is craving it, especially when we're struggling. So I think it's a mindset. Just wake up every morning when you're having a rough day and say, I'm going to find the funny in today because there's got to be at least one funny thing that's going to happen, especially if you're a parent. Funny will happen. It's like mining for gold, yes. right? And there's mostly just silt and then there's a little glint of something in there. Yes. And allow yourself to laugh. I remember when I was depressed, you know, if I would laugh about something and then I would go, oh, well, obviously I'm not as depressed as, you know, we, we start to like analyze ourselves. We're capable of feeling a hundred emotions all at once as humans. So let yourself feel more than one thing. Hmm. That's really interesting that you have permission to laugh in the middle of sadness or I don't feel sad in the middle of somebody else's happiness. It's all possible. Yes. I remember a friend telling me that, you know, after her parent died, after her dad died, like within 24 hours, she just found herself busting out laughing. And then she felt guilty. She's like, my dad just died and now I'm laughing. And then she had that realization of, no, I'm human and I'm capable of having grief and laughing, you know, within a 24-hour period. And I should let myself feel it. It's almost like her body needed to laugh. Yeah. Tell me about your grandmother. You talk a lot about her in the book and her sort of mindset and her influence on you. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah. So my grandmother, her and I were incredibly close. And her and I were very much alike in so many ways. And I still, it's so funny. I look at my hands now and I'm like, I have my grandmother's hands. Uh. But she would worry. She all the time. I was like, she was known as the person who worried. And she would often tell me from when I was a little child all into my adulthood, she would tell me, you know, we're so much alike, but the one thing I don't want you to, you know, take from me and I see you doing it is that worry that, you know, keeps you up at night. And so I just, I learned a lot from watching her worry and watching her struggle with it. And I write in the book how I've been trying to replace my worry with hope and not just, you know, oh, I hope this will be okay. You know, the kind we just say and we don't do anything about, Right. but that proactive hope that actually, you know, puts the hope into action. I'm going to do what I need to do. And the things that are out of my control, I'm not going to allow to control me completely. I loved this book so much, you guys. It has very funny parts in it. It has huge, hopeful, humane takeaways. It's really worth a read. It's called Hold On But Don't Hold Still, Hope and Humor. See, it's both from my seriously flawed (laughs) life. Christina, tell us about the book and where you're going to be in support of the book, everywhere we can find you. Sure. By the way, I'm so excited about this book. I never thought about writing a book and I'm so glad I did because it was, I just felt like it was what I needed to read at certain points in my life. So I really hope it'll be helpful to others. So as part of the book tour, I'm going to be in Boston, Chicago, Phoenix, Salt Lake City, and Los Angeles. 
And you can find all the information, the dates and times and everything on my website, christinakuzmich.com. And I'm also doing a Hope and Humor tour, which is my one woman show. And there are a lot of, you know, parts from the book in that too. And again, you can get all the information on my website for that as well. You are the busiest person. <laughs> it's amazing. I am, but it doesn't even feel like work. I'm so passionate what I do and I just love it. Okay, you guys, check out the book. Check out Christina. It's with a K. Christina Kuzmich, also with a K. I'll put it on our website, too, in the show notes. Dot com. Christina, thank you so much for talking to us today. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And now, times you should maybe let people into your mess a little bit less. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, so I know I was supposed to bring Rice Krispies for the bake sale tomorrow, but it turns out that my second grader needed a costume for the school play, which I had totally forgotten about, and he's supposed to be tree number three, and so all of a sudden I'm trying to find brown pants and a green shirt, and then I'm supposed to make like these leaves for the shirt, and I'm really not artistic at all, and the poor guy looks like the swamp thing and totally nothing at all like a tree, so I didn't have time to bake, so I just brought this box of cereal. I don't, I don't know. Maybe someone at the bake sale just really likes cereal? Dear Mrs. Smith, I apologize that Jacob showed up late for preschool this morning. I realized by the time he got there, the day was, you know, pretty much over. But Jacob decided this morning that he had a new thing where he just really doesn't want to wear pants. Like, ever. 
Not even a school. So that took a while to sort out. It's totally not acceptable. I get it. But he really did enjoy the 20 minutes he did get to spend in class before being asked to leave for taking off his pants. And I told him, no more taking off his pants in school ever. I think he gets that now. So, so sorry that my car is a bit messy. I was not expecting to give anyone a ride home today. I know it smells like I'm transporting a bunch of dead animals in the trunk, but I swear I'm not. I'm not. My son just spilled a super-sized vanilla milkshake in the back seat on the way home from hockey practice last month, and the guy at the detailing place says that that smell is never coming out. Oh, hi. Oh, I know. I look a mess. My bad. <laughs> Do you ever have one of those days where you're just like, you've got yesterday's makeup running down your face and your hair is like sticking up in every direction. And the idea of putting pants with a button on is just like, yeah, no thanks. So you just tell yourself, sorry, world, this is as good as it's going to get today. And then you're like, these slippers kind of look like shoes, right? And then you just totally go for it. And you just head out the door looking like a hot mass express. And you're just like, I guess everyone's just going to have to accept me for what I am today. Ma'am, that will be eighty-seven fifteen for these groceries. Oh. Oh no, totally my bad. I think I might have forgot my wallet. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't have it. This has been Times You Should Maybe Let People Into Your Mess a Little Bit Less. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. I like Christina. Yeah. I mean, it's just such an interesting take on everything we were talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. you kind of look at her and if you see her online, like, she's really pretty and put together. And you kind of think like, oh, you know, sometimes you see those like hot mess express moms and you're like, yeah, but you look really pretty. And I don't know. You don't (laughs) seem as messy as I do. But like, she's got a real story. And she, you know, that's the thing. Like, yeah, that thing of somebody saying to me like, oh, you have all the answers on your podcast. I'm like, let's scratch beneath the surface, people. It's not happening. So I want to bring the science in part three. And I want to talk about. Of course you do. I do because I want to get beyond like, okay, like. This stinks. We should let people into our mess, but why? Because it makes us feel better. But why does it make us feel better? I felt like if I understood why this is a good thing to do instead of trying to seem perfect to everybody all the time, I might want to do it more and be better at it. Yes. Maybe that's crazy, but that's how I think. Okay. Why is this in our best interests? Okay. So lead me in. Here's why. Okay. All right. So there's a bunch of different theories on when we react to something, sort of what happens inside us. Okay. Like we see a snake and our heart starts pounding, you know, like what happens and in what order. So the one that people have sort of settled on, this guy, Dr. Richard Lazarus in the 1990s, he came out with something called cognitive mediational theory. So he says, you see a snake, it feels like we see a snake, we get scared. No, we see a snake and we immediately run a, you know, spreadsheet in our heads, right? And I mean, this is like in milliseconds, and then we have the emotional response. Right. It's like the screen in all the science fiction movies, like ding, 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 ding. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You assess, you see the, you know, the snake slither across your path, and there are two parts. So the first thing that happens is the primary appraisal, and it's your, you know, subconscious is like, what does this mean? What's the significance of this, the snake crawling across me? How much potential harm to my well-being exists? That's the first thing that your brain does in the split second. 
then this thing that you see either becomes a challenge, which is a good thing, right? Like, oh, this tough mountain I have to climb, this heavy weight that I have to lift in my CrossFit class. That's a challenge, right? Like you have the oh no feeling, but then you're going to react to it positively. Or it's a threat. It's a snake slithering across your path. So that's the first thing your brain has to decide. Like how much threat to my well-being is there? And is this something I can overcome or is this something... I worry that I can't overcome. And then the second thing that your brain does is, okay, what are my options for coping? I can run, I can scream if it's the snake. But you could run and scream from a CrossFit class. You could run and scream. I would if I was in a CrossFit class. (laughs) I wouldn't be there, but if I would. So then your body's like, okay, I can do A, B, C. How well are these things going to work? And when your brain is ticking through the options and the options don't seem like any of them are going to work, that's, you know, your stress will result, right? So you have, if you see a snake slither across your path, you'll be like, ah, and you'll run away and you'll go in the house and close the door and then you're kind of fine, right? Because it's like, right. it worked. You had your options, I'm going to run, and then you run. So the stress results when what you see feels like, I don't have any options. This is, there's nothing I can do about this. It feels huge. So the point of all of this is that we don't perceive things in the same way way. Like, of course we don't. Like, if the snake is slithering across my path and you're inside the house looking at me, you're like, oh, that's a little garden snake. You're going to perceive it completely differently because it's not happening to you, obviously, right? So a stressful situation that seems like a threat to me is a challenge to my friend. Like, if I say, I might have to figure out another school for my kid. I don't know if this is going to work where he is right now. He's so unhappy and the teachers are telling me and I don't know what to do. That to me just feels like overwhelming. There are no answers, right? Like my alarms are going off and I'm freaking out. Your friend, it's a challenge to her. It's not happening to her. So she can be like, hmm, let me tick through these things. And it's not something she's looking forward to necessarily, but it's not happening to her so she can react without fear. So that's why it's worth sharing your mess with other people because... They don't perceive it in the same way. Therefore, they can be more helpful. Amy, this may be the most interesting thing you've ever said on the podcast. (laughs) This is so interesting to me because I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about, but I've never thought about this way. My mom had a metaphor that's like, as yourself, you're driving a car without an odometer or a speedometer, I guess. Like you're driving a car, but it's very hard to perceive when you're driving a car how fast you're going. So the role of like a therapist, she was saying, or like someone you're talking to, like a parent in a situation is to be like, whoa, you just passed me and you're going way too fast, you know, Mm. or you're going way too slow that like the objective observer has a completely different role than the driver because you have a distance that allows you to perceive things But you're not having the stress reaction. So you have an ability to be like, here are some options, you know, and think it through. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. I always thought of it more of like, I want you to, oh, you hate to bother people with your problems, right? Or you hate to make them sad because you're going through this. And you might, but they might also be able to help you. Sometimes you see a problem as insurmountable because it's your problem. And I mean, I've had this. I'm sure you've had this too. They're like, why doesn't she just do this? Right? Of course. Nothing easier than solving other people's problems in your head. That's right. So great. Such a fun pastime. That's right. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. And sometimes your friend gets there a year later and you're like, oh, I'm glad glad you figured that out because I always knew that was what you should do. But it doesn't land on you. I remember I have an aunt who had five children, still has five children, but she was pregnant with her sixth child and her husband died in 40, let's say, very, very young of a heart attack. 
And it was, you know, back in the day, they didn't have insurance, they didn't have anything. And she ended up raising these five children by herself. I've just heard that story a million times. And at some point I had three children and I ran into her at a party and I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, like that story landed on me in a completely different way. Like, what if that happened to me now? Like, suddenly I was in a proximal situation Mm -hmm. and I was like, why haven't we built like an altar to this woman in our family? Like, I've always heard that story. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's her story, you know? And then it lands on you like, oh my God, the stakes of that story are completely different when you understand them, you know? Do you think we're moving Moving like towards a better place, a sort of away from like, oh, she was such a strong woman, never, you know, told anybody, never bothered a soul and lived a good life that that to do that without complaining is better than to do that with the help of a really good therapist and a <laughs> tribe of supportive women. I do think the tribe is valued in a way that is helpful. I'm not sure. I think a lot of the tribe is like online and on the computer. And I've heard people argue like it's really good and it's fine. And I've heard people argue like it's not the same as having an actual like tribe where you live in community and you actually help each other. And I don't know. I do think the like never speak about your problems. And I see it with my kids, like something will happen. You know, there'll be some an event at the school or something tragic happens and like counselors come and we talk it through and the counselors are like, you know, keep this dialogue open at all times. And I was speaking to a counselor after something had happened in my children's school. And he was like, yeah, something similar happened to me as a child. And my family never spoke about it again. And like it resonated through my whole life because I couldn't let go of it because I was so scared by it. And I never was able to give voice to what happened. Mm. And I do think that like, you know, Amy and I both come from traditions of like Irish Catholics who are like, how about we never talk about our problems and pretend that that works well? Right. And, you know, I think there's <laughs> still a role for like everything's a spectrum, right? And I'm never going to be a person who's like, uh, let's get into each other's heart spaces and talk about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, let's move on a little bit too, you know? I mean, I do think there's a role to be like, well, you know, it stank. I cried. Here we go. What's next? You know, that's kind of my touchstone philosophy. But I think there is room. There's a real sweet spot in the middle where you don't hold everything in and just like bottle it up until it goes away. You know, what's really useful when the social media sort of, you know, virtual village really helps is when there's something really specific going on. Like I had a kid who a couple years ago had a really very rare medical condition that was very poorly understood. And they were seeing, like even in New York City, we're seeing like the one or two doctors who kind of understood it. And then they were like, you got to go somewhere else. I mean, it felt like a huge problem. And it was ongoing. It's fine now, by the way. But it was like six months of my life. It really kind of took over. And my friends, I mean, I could have coffee with them and cry about it a little bit. But they were also sort of like, wait, this is still happening. It was so sort of long and chronic and depressing, where I ended up finding the most useful support for me was an online chat group of other parents around the country whose kids also had this really rare, specific, misunderstood thing. Um, because those parents 
got it. You know, they understood everything. I didn't have to explain what it was or that it was real or that it was not dangerous, but very life altering and, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah, just started on like third base with these people and really helped me. So that's when I think social media is a godsend. Oh, and I think I'm generally pretty pro social media. And I do think that like finding communities where you can talk things out and like we have our Facebook group, like people just come they ask for advice. People are super supportive, but give good advice and laugh. And like, it reminds me, someone gave me a card when I got married and it said double joy, half sorrow. Like that's mm. the idea of like a perfect marriage that you double each other's joy. You amplify the joy in each other's lives and you have the sorrow. And I feel like that's kind of what we're talking about. Like if we share and we are in community with other people and we allow people to see what's wrong with us, it helps. And I heard a sermon once at church and the guy was talking about going in to visit a prison and he went in several times to be like, well, here's what you should do to get your lives together and put yourself back on track. And then at some point he ended up going to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and he is an alcoholic. And he was like, he had this completely different communion with people when he started by being like, I'm an alcoholic and here is blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it was only in sharing my brokenness that I really found communion with the other people in the room. That like, we weren't on the same page before. We were just, I was lecturing them or I was helping. But like coming from that point of vulnerability, suddenly like we were brothers as opposed to like lecturer or lecturee. And I think about that all the time. It's like allowing yourself to say like, I kind of stink at this a lot of the times. It opens you up to a completely different experience than being like, I'm great. I'm great. Look at how great I am. Oh, look at my kids. They're all dressed up in their Christmas picture. Like I suffer from this. I'm a bit of a presentational. I like people to think I'm doing great. Yes, we all do that. Yeah. And I think being able to let that go and check out Christina's book. She has a lot of interesting takes on this. And I think she's a great messenger for it because she is someone who sort of presents like, you know, she does really well online. She's got a business. She's pretty like good hair. She's got really annoyingly good hair, you know. And so I think she's kind of a great example of this thing of like, oh, Miss Perfect. And then you read her book and you're like, oh, interesting. That's not what I was expecting. Really? Yeah. She earned her stripes. There's a quote from Christina's book that I want to say before we finish today. She says, we are not meant to walk through this life alone. Name any situation you want to improve, and I guarantee you, you'll get there faster and more effectively if you reach out to others. Solved it. Yeah, we did. And guys, if you <laughs> want to reach out to us, we want to reach back to you. Come to our Facebook page. This is how you're going to do it. You're going to type in your browser, facebook.com forward slash what fresh hell cast and then when you like our page you can join our group and then you'll be with this great community of fellow moms who are cool and funny and full of good advice you'll be in community we're also on instagram at what fresh hell cast on twitter at wfh podcast that's where i put like the sciencey stuff so i'll put some links to the glamour article i mentioned and also the dr richard lazarus cognitive mediational theory if you want to feel well read be in communion with amy's articles it means so much <laughs> and you can also go to whatfreshhealthpodcast.com i want to thank christina kuzmish her new book is hold on but don't hold still hope and humor from my seriously flawed life we really liked it thanks for listening guys bye no one told us the truth about parenthood why 
This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 